Today's episode is brought to you by Ardent Cannabis Infusion. Their new Ardent FX is the only all-in-one portable cannabis kitchen where you can decarb, infuse, and bake all in one machine. They're calling it the Easy Bake Ardent. The Ardent requires no prior cannabis cooking, infusion, or baking experience. You get full activation and infusion of THC, CBD, CBG, and other cannabinoids using flour, keef, or concentrate. It works with butter or oil, and it's odorless and mess-free with no cleanup. The new model is four times larger, holding up to an ounce of flour. The RNFX is truly a revolutionary all-in-one activation, infusion, melting, and baking appliance, and Trailblazers can get $30 off by using our special link, blazinbakery.com forward slash ardent. That's blazin, B-L-A-Z-I-N, bakery.com forward slash ardent, A-R-D-E-N-T. And Trailblazers, if you're looking for something to use with your new batch of Ardent Oil, head over to blazonbakery.com and you'll get 20% off all Blazon brand products. That's our original best-selling brownie mix, our easy three-minute microwave version, and our new CBD dog treats featuring proprietary Melabonin Common Blend. Just use code Trailblazon for 20% off. That's T-R-A-I-L-B-L-A-Z-I-N, Trailblazon. For 20% off at blazonbakery.com. You're about to get insider access to cannabis industry experts, entrepreneurs, activists, and living legends. Meet the people who live and blaze this life every day and are about to change the world. Now your host, the founder of Blazin Bakery, New Jersey's first edibles company with over a decade of national advocacy, sales, connections, and adventures behind her. A true trailblazer in cannabis. This is Trailblazing with Tiramisu. Today on the show is Jason Thomas. Jason is an established technology and compliance professional in the pharmaceutical, medical device, and medical cannabis industries. He has 20 years experience in regulatory audit, quality control, and technology risk management to keep businesses compliant and inspection ready. Over the course of his career, which includes 15 years at big pharma giant Pfizer, Jason has traveled the world auditing pharmaceutical IT operations, manufacturing facilities, and data centers. He has obtained several professional audit and GMP certifications throughout his career. Additionally, he has led and acted as a key stakeholder in many transformational IT initiatives, data center consolidations, acquisitions, and divestitures, TSA, PMO, blockchain pilots, and digital transformation automation, to name a few. His latest venture, Precision Quality and Compliance, is focused on serving the medical cannabis and hemp markets. Compliance is perhaps the least sexy thing I can think to talk about, but if you're starting a cannabis business, there's some pretty good takeaways here. And if you've never considered it before, it's definitely time to start. Now, I did something with this interview I swore I would never do. I forgot to hit record. Extra big thank you to Jason for doing this twice. Um, so what it may lack in spontaneity, it makes up for in very finely tuned answers. Trailblazers, please welcome my friend, Jason Thomas. Hi friends, today I have Jason Thomas, who has an amazing background working in uh, compliance at Pfizer. So he's coming from Big Pharma and we're starting to be Big Cannabis. So I thought it might be an interesting discussion to kind of see what we need to do and 
who better than someone who's coming from there? So, uh, Jason, welcome. Um, why don't you start by telling people what it exactly it is you do? Yeah, no, thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Of course. Um, big fan of the show, big fan of you and everything you got going on. So, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so I worked for Pfizer, uh, for about 10 years. Prior to that, it was Wyeth. We got acquired. So 15 years combined. Uh, I spent most of my career in a compliance function in one capacity or another, whether it be audit, quality control, quality assurance, solution delivery, IT risk management, um, really working with highly regulated processes, people, um, not people, I believe. <laughs> well, the people are regulated too, right? Sure. Uh, people, processes, and technology, right? So those, those three areas and applying control frameworks, helping people stay compliant. Um, I've seen both sides of the fence. I've been on the audit side where people cringe when they hear you knocking. And I've been on the operational side where people truly need your help to, to get their shop where it needs to be, right? So 2017, I started planning my, my jump into the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. 2018, I made that jump. I came up with a concept for a multi-state uh, coalition, cannabis coalition of quality control, regulated auditors, technology professionals, people that can really service all parts of the value chain. I say value chain because it's more than just seed to sale. It's pre-seed and post-sale. Um, really operate in the best interest of the patients to keep everyone compliant. So let, let me say, when people hear compliance, or especially the word auditor, the first thing I'm sure most people think is the IRS, like getting audited. So yeah. if you're working and you hear an auditor's coming into your company, you're like, oh God, I'm gonna, people are going to lose their jobs. Like, I, this is going to cost me a lot of money. He's going to say things aren't up to code. Like, it, it rarely seems like a good word. So why don't you tell people why having an auditor could be a good thing? Um, 100%. Yeah. Uh, because I'm the guy who's going to help you fix what's wrong. <laughs> uh, no, ultimately, <laughs> you want to know what's wrong before uh, a regulatory authority that can actually shut you down comes walking through your facility. I'm not going to shut you down. Okay. Um, but ultimately, having um, an audit, a mock audit, an inspection readiness review to make sure you've got all the right quality control procedural aspects in place. Mm -hmm. you know, your employees are trained. The records are where they need to be. Um, you've got your I's dotted, your T's crossed. Um, that is really the intent of why you should have an audit performed or even have an audit on staff or yeah. make sure you have your quality protocols in place because <clears throat> it's to your benefit, right? It's yeah. a second set of eyes. It's an independent review, third-party review that you can count on not being biased. It's not having one of your employees executing it who might be executing the controls that we're talking about. Sure. It's collective interest. Um, so it gives you a sense of comfort uh, on a periodic basis, whether you do it quarterly, annually, um, so you know you're in that 24-7 state of inspection readiness because yeah. when the feds do come and the FDA will eventually come in and perform audits, inspections, surprise inspections, the state yeah. does it, states do surprise inspections now, um, you just want to be in that state of compliance ultimately. So, I mean, I think most people, their first thought is, <clears throat> you know, I'm a small business. I have, you know, a bottom line I have to think about. This sounds expensive. Um, isn't this just something that I can cut from my budget that's going to cost my money? Maybe this is great for those big MSOs, but right. um, is is there a way you can do this to also save money for your business where it becomes feasible for smaller operators? Yeah, no, I, there's there's a lot of options, right? And it all comes down to scale. We see everything from the one-person operation to the multi-state operators in this, this uh, industry. So it comes down to scaling and knowing the criticality of compliance at certain points in your business, right? Um, I think we talked about this uh, the other day. We were saying 
the difference between legal compliance and internal operational quality compliance, right? Mm-hmm. It's night and day. And yeah. every time I hear someone say compliance, it's usually a lawyer speaking and I have to leave the room. No offense, yeah. lawyers. I love you guys, uh, especially the cheap ones. Half my friends um, are cannabis lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there is a way to make it affordable. And, you know, for the smaller mom and pop shops, if you're just getting going, even if you've been in business for several years, but you're still reasonably small, educate yourself. Right. It's you have to have either tools and uh, resources at your disposal to know where the market's going to go. It's a challenge. I'll say, yeah. I'll say that. But if you are focused in one state, it makes it a little easier. So what are some resources uh, someone could do to do this on their own, like websites or things they can check out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's sites like Canaregs out there and Simplify um, that help automate um, streams of information. So mm-hmm. you're, you're receiving daily regulatory updates as opposed to you having to go out and hunt makes it a push versus pull um, which is key for this industry because it's changing daily right and so especially if you operate in or want to operate in different states um, I would get a membership to something like that so you can stay plugged in as much as possible Um, but in terms of keeping the costs low you know you can really do a lot of the work internally I mean we're Mm -hmm. talking about internal operations and procedures so it's documenting what you say you're going to do and then doing it, right? So create your SOPs, train your staff, and then you have to make sure those control points are executed. Where it transfers over into the legal side is the regulatory state requirements that need to be implemented into those internal procedures, right? So the testing requirements and the packaging requirements, that then becomes operational, right? And you're responsible for executing against those controls. Okay, so you definitely kind of need a cannabis specific lawyer um, and then at a certain point, it's like they develop or translate what the regulations are. And then someone like you who comes in, you know, guy with the clipboard, maybe, uh, to, uh, back in the day, have you, your, your forefather in this job had a clipboard. You have a, I don't know, a device of some sort. No, you have a drone. You have a drone. You're right. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of. You know, not everyone needs policies and procedures day one, right? It's when you're putting product out the door and and it's something that um, is being consumed or or actually touching a consumer, Mm -hmm. um, then you need to be prepared to have, you know, adequate mechanisms in place for your operations, right? And it's not a whole, like you don't need a disaster recovery plan for your small business. (laughs) If you have assets that you are concerned about, sure, then maybe you do. You know, so when you do have a large inventory, of something to that effect, then maybe you have to change your insurance. You have to put in other protocols in place. So knowing when to put in certain compliance elements, certain quality standards, yeah. certain operational things, it changes throughout your business as you grow. OSHA requirements come into play if you have a physical facility, right? Yeah. As if you don't, you don't have to worry about that right away. So, so as you grow, it uh, makes me think that this sounds like consulting work for a very large percent of the cannabis industry. Um, you know, what point are we going to have in-house auditors? Is that something uh, probably just strictly for MSOs at this point? But what, when do you see that tipping point when we start seeing in-staff jobs for this? Yeah, it's, it, again, it goes back to size, right? Um, and if you're an MSO and you're operating in multiple states, you want that consistency. You mm-hmm. want to have that, um, that same person or, or group of people operating internally in the best interest of the company, right? Because then it's their dedicated group that's purely focused on audits. You're probably executing a couple hundred a year at that point, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for someone who's smaller, uh, you know, you don't always need 
You're not, you're not going to run out and get a, uh, an audit department day one, yeah. right? but you may be that auditor. So check your own books, educate yourself on what control points need to get reviewed. Because mm -hmm. ultimately when you do hire someone, you're going to have to tell them what to do. And you know, it's, you can consult out for that. I mean, we have a team of auditors that can come in and do mock audits. We have people that can be seated in like a attempt to hire program, which I love the idea of that because it really helps put the professionals throughout the industry, let them work internally in these companies, um, bring some of that life science, regulatory compliance knowledge to the table. Um, and it, it's a train a trainer type of program, right? The more individuals that we have in the industry, putting that knowledge out there from a compliance standpoint, holding the hands to get people to the you know, GMP level, the FDA's yeah. expectations, uh, the better off most companies will be. So. Very cool. You definitely and, don't and want to get an order day, day one. But no, no, no. Yeah. Just to, well, so someone like Pfizer, um, when do you think this is, they're really going to be getting their hand in the cannabis game? Cause you know, they're gearing up already, but. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Pfizer actually has the second most patents in cannabis, uh, next to GW Pharma, or at least they did back in 2018 when I was doing my, uh, analysis, I actually pitched some stuff to them uh, around this internally. Um, but yeah, they have the second most patents in cannabis, or did, next to GW Pharma. So you know they're already strategizing, probably mostly on the CBD side initially, right? Yeah. Um, they did have a consumer branch that just spun off. So I have to believe that's part of their strategy. But again, it's one product, right? And what everyone always forgets about pharma, they're also uh, international, right? Mm -hmm. This is We're talking about, obviously, cannabis is a global initiative, but um, right now, for Pfizer to come in for one product and risk all their other sales yeah. and getting shut down by, you know, the FDA, um, it's just not, it works against their strategy. So I think you're going to see it incrementally. You're going to see it in the CBD space. Um, all these pharma companies are already starting to kick off pilots and, and doing studies. Plus with the election, right, and, and Biden coming in, it's likely going to get descheduled before it gets decriminal decriminalized. Mm -hmm. across the u.s excuse me so you know i think that's going to open up a window not that they need one opened but for big pharma uh yeah. to come in and do clinical trials uh in in this space right so you're going to see the clinical trial aspects of this evolve um mm -hmm. and i think that's going to be a big focus for the big canna and the big pharma mm -hmm. but my concern is if it becomes a requirement to clinical trials, we all know the price tag that's associated. We all cut out all small business because they can't afford. Nobody would be able to afford it. Yeah. Pharma can't afford it. It's ridiculous. And plus, the time could be upwards of 10, 15 years to get a product through a clinical trial, depending on yeah. what we're talking about and the efficacy levels that you're looking for. Um, so that can't happen. That would just yeah. be a complete wedge in the industry and prevent it from you know opening doors for anyone. And do you so, think that's um, a possibility once this goes federal and we start looking at federal regulations that we're going to start see lot, levels of compliance that cripple the industry to some degree being made by people who don't understand that? Uh, it could happen. I think everyone who's doing what they're doing, thank you everyone, uh, in this industry, um, we're, we have a unique opportunity to prevent that from happening. We're shaping it now. We have, they're looking for input left and right. The FDA's constantly looked and solicited input uh, from the industry. Um, some of us wish they would just take a firmer stance or hire some people internally. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So do you think 
when a company like Pfizer comes in, we're, I, I so often look at the adult use space with edibles and, you know, when the big food companies are coming in or Marlboro, when that's going to, you know, crush the, the cannabis market. Do you think when big pharma comes in, all these medical dispensaries are just going to get crushed up and absorbed and really it's going to destroy any kind of mom and pop industry? Um, <clears throat> I hope not. Uh, yeah. Honestly, you know, before everyone has a chance to get into this industry, we need to, you know, hold on to that for as long as possible. But um, very well could happen, you yeah. know. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, and that's going to be a bunch of M&As and people getting absorbed and things like that. But, uh, I mean, I think we have a window. Yeah, we do. And the M&A landscape is going to be very interesting. We've seen it already kick off yeah. with the MSO at the MSO level. Um, we're going to see... Big Pharma acquiring Big Canna, and Big Canna is not going to be Big Canna anymore. They're just going to be part of Big Pharma. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but what I'm the most excited about is the micro M&A, right? So, so wait, do you think Big Canna won't be its own thing in an adult use sense either? Because obviously the medical will get absorbed, but yeah. we have like, you know, big alcohol, will, big tobacco. So we might still have Big Canna in a, in a recreational sense, you know? Good point. Yeah, yeah. The valid point. I, you're not going to see Pfizer going after, you know, adult use markets. Um, so it's, it's purely going to be that medical divide. Um, mm -hmm. it's going to be held to a higher level of standards. They might have to go through clinical trials, as we mentioned, yeah. the CAPA programs, the recall process, all that fun stuff, which applies to adult use products as well. But, you know, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny, um, in that, that capacity. It's interesting because there's no other crossover. Well, not anymore. I think there used to be a recreational alcohol and medical alcohol, but we don't really have that anymore. Um, you know, same thing with tobacco. These are just seen as vices. Um, where cannabis does have a, a whole therapeutic side. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting divide to keep an eye on how that becomes different. Um, what regulations, so we're, we're talking maybe five, maybe 10 years, maybe longer till this is federally legal and eventually globally legal. So what do you think people could be putting in place now for kind of future proofing to not get tripped up when these FDA things come in and it's, oh my God, my whole world just fell apart. Yep. You can put in whatever you want to put in. You know, you don't you don't have to cut corners. You can be as controlled as you want to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my advice to people is look at the FDA and what they require. There's a wealth of information on their website, wealth of information on the state websites. Um, you have to be proactive. You have to track to what's going to be coming down the pipe, right? Um, <clears throat> but really, the best advice I can give to people is look at the standard standards organizations that are out there. Yeah. Um, you've got groups like Focus. Uh, the ASTM D37, um, ASTM is the parent organization. They have a subcommittee, D37, mm -hmm. about 700 people in that group, all clients, professionals. Working is is that the thing that we'll talk about, like um, like allowable butane parts per billion, things like that? Correct. So they're yeah, working on developing. Yeah. They're getting to the real niche standards and making sure that the tolerance limits, the thresholds, and all that stuff is consistently baked into these standards. And I forget how many they have uh, off the top of my head. Um, and there's a number of different companies out there creating these standards and they're all kind of working together. It's a very collaborative, you know, environment because everyone's operating in the best interest of the patients and consumers yeah. and getting this industry where it needs to be. So from an advice standpoint, plug into those groups. If you have a passion for, uh, you know, compliance or even if you don't and just want information or resources. You say you have a passion for compliance. I'm sorry. It came out. I do. Um, <laughs> you do. You really do. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. I wish I had a passion uh, for something more, uh normal 
I have other passions. This is just like maybe 10% of my passion bucket. There's 90% of other cooler stuff. Don't, okay. don't go around telling people like Jason's got a passion for compliance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. That's how I'm going to introduce you at uh, all further, further networking <laughs> events. <laughs> this is Jason. He's got a passion for compliance. <laughs> that guy's weird. <laughs> um, so if someone has a passion for compliance, what do <clears> they do? Uh, I mean, just you can really <laughs> plug into these websites. I, well, I say yeah. passion for compliance because if you want to be part of that D37 group or attend some of these other standards groups, um, they're a wealth of resource. And if you're in that field, uh, you should really be a part of those groups. Um, but if not, you know, they, those are just the same people putting out all the information that you're going to need to apply, right? Because mm -hmm. they're connecting the dots and working with the FDA, the USDA in states, um, and, and they're operating in the best interest of the entire country right now. Yeah. So, and then the goal is to standardize it's mm -hmm. every state, right? And um, as much of that information you can pull into your operation as possible as it's being developed and pushed out there could be when, you know, the time comes for federal legalization. And how are these regulations, how much do they vary state to state? Hmm. Drastically. Well, it depends on the area, right? I mean, we look at testing as an example, packaging, labeling, um, every state's got different requirements and some states. Can, can I stop there and say that is driving me crazy? I was like someone whose background is in graphic design. Uh, I've been following this for a really long time and everyone thinks they're special. Like everyone needs their own certain triangle. They all, it's like, we could make this universal. We could just say, you know, pregnant women driving under the influence. Here's a little warning contains right. THC childproof lock. Like we could just make this universal because mm -hmm. what's happening is every state, is like afraid to copy the state before them. So we have 15 different triangles. If this would be a great business, if someone just got on top of it and said, hey, I'm gonna do a federal regulation thing and just start, but what's gonna happen is we're gonna become federal one day and everyone's gonna have to scrap all their packaging and start over. And it's just so ridiculous, <laughs> but it almost feels like a contest. Yep. Now oh, we're yeah. like, yeah, like we can't just take Colorado's regs and said, oh, they did a good job. They've been doing this for years. Let's copy them and approve upon them. It's like, no, we have to prove that we're the best state, every state, um, and we're going to do it right. And this is why all of you were wrong, and we're ending up with completely different regs and everything in every market. I don't know about you, but my teachers always told me not to copy things from other people. <laughs> no. Uh, no, you're right. I, I, I agree. Um, it comes down to a thousand cooks in the kitchen and a thousand type A personalities all wanting to do things their own way. Yep. We talked about this a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, around you know the number of governing bodies that could potentially be operating in a state so california has you know three right you have the cannabis uh, commission you've got the department of agriculture and department of health i think plays a, a mm -hmm. role there so you've got three bodies that you got to be complying with other states have less but you know it, it's it's um it's a challenge if you're an operator right and yeah. you're, you're not sure what those bodies are asking about for and what they need today is different than tomorrow. So it's, it's an evolving market. And, and that's why you need someone staying on top of these things. Um, <clears throat> also, I, I mean, right now, until those are in place, I think this comes down to good operators and bad operators and needing it to fall on them a bit, unfortunately, because we're not protected under things like HIPAA. So when you talk yeah. about a dispensary owner, um, I mean, do you think we're going to have a cannabis-specific one or – that should be utilized. You know, if you have any stories of where this is just completely failing our industry, because I, I feel like I hear a lot of that lately. 
Yeah, uh, well, brought up HIPAA. HIPAA is a, a great point. I mean, there's, you, know, you mentioned before, we should really take as much as we can that's already been established, bring it into the industry. HIPAA is one of those, right? Yeah. We're talking about patients, treat it the same. Uh, I'm a patient, right? I could tell you a horror story. When I went to go register for my, my card, <clears throat> and I won't say who it is, but the person I hope they're watching, they fix their operations. <laughs> uh, ultimately, uh, when I went to go register, they turned around their laptop and said, here, go enter your information. And I look in the screen, and it's the lady before me, who I happen to know. <laughs> but now I know all the information about her, her address, and what's wrong with her. Not what's wrong with her. I take that back. No, her but you, you knew her diagnosis? They... Diagnosis, yeah, thank you. Oh, me. my God. Um, How about things like driver's license, social security, like just personal information? The whole registration page, everything that you, you – she just got done registering as a patient. Oh, my so, God. Um, that has to change drastically. If you have a dispensary, treat it like a front end doctor's office, right? Yeah. And then manage your patient's data, manage all your data uh, in a controlled fashion. I've heard nightmares about people, you know, and I get it, it comes down to scaling up and be what you can afford. But if you have a guy named Steve posting all your data for your company on a server in his basement next to the hot water heater that's going to burst next week, you know, not a good idea. So know who your third party providers are know where your data is going and apply as many, you know, transition, uh, historical and uh, existing regulatory frameworks as possible. OSHA See, is another the, one. The problem here is it's a new industry. We're starting out. Everyone needs money. Everyone's trying to do things as cheaply as possible. We have 280E, which is ruining people's tax rate. And a guy named Steve with a server in his basement probably works really cheap. So you're like, all right, this is, this is good enough for now. When we have the money, we'll, we'll do things correctly then. You know, and I think this is something we see across the board. We see this with CBD, you know, people who are just getting the cheapest raw matter instead of, and, and I understand that we need to look at our bottom line, but you're not always doing the right thing. Something like a patient's data is a huge breach of trust and it, it makes the patient, it makes our industry look bad. You know, CBD, and I've talked about this before, when they're getting a uh, product from hemp that's used for soil remediation nuclear disasters and then putting it in cbd and my friends will try it and they'll be like oh i got them from a gas station i got them a convenience store like groupon or something i'm growing like you're probably what you're growing ear in the back of your head because it's yeah like you're not getting good quality you know and then it's the companies that do have u.s grown hemp they'll tell you the extraction method you could track it you know they have mm -hmm. a qr mm -hmm. code with a certificate of analysis yep. those people are spending more money and they can't sell it as cheaply and I feel almost like they can't compete. So, so much of our industry right now is just about undercutting and price. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't have it on my screen over here. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> but our, our tagline is cultivating value through quality. And when we talk about the M&A process, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of using quality as a competitive advantage, right? Um, yeah. You're going to have the people selling CBD in the gas station. And then you're going to have people who are really putting it through the ringer and making sure it's, it's properly tested. It's got the efficacy it needs. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that is attractive to a lot of people. Right yeah. through the M&A process, people are going to come in and they're going to want to maximize the profit margin. So they may see the guy who's selling it at 7-Eleven as a more attractive acquisition. Yeah. But you know, it comes down to ethics too and morals and, and what kind of product do you want to put out there? What do you want your brand to look like? What's your reputation? Um, so it's how do you want to run your business and how do you want to be perceived in the industry? I always say, let's, you know, put quality standards in place, yeah. money will follow, you know, quality first, sales last. And I think in the long term, those are the people who are going to win because when you buy those gas station gummy bears or 
you know, whatever, whatever product, the THC product. And if it's terrible, you don't buy it again. Uh, what bothers me is because so many people are trying these things for the first time, they write off the industry and not the manufacturer. But um, yeah, I do think the manufacturers that uh, adhere to these guidelines. So what, um, do you think there's any specific guidelines aside from what OSHA has, HIPAA has, you know, your CGMP practices, QAQC, all the initials. Um, do you think there's anything really specific for cannabis that is lacking that needs to be invented uh, for our industry? Uh, invented from a standards perspective or just in general, like in, because um, I'm a tech guy and I, I can think of a ton of <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, let's talk about like new technologies that are coming yeah. out and how they could be applied in cannabis. I mean, one of the things we're um, really evaluating is the, because we're an audit firm who can't mm -hmm. travel during COVID. Sure. We can, but we can't get everywhere. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, we need the capabilities to be remote and to mm -hmm. be able to have eyes and ears remotely. So how do we do that? Tech. You know how you perform a remote inspection? Drones. Robots. Things that can give you eyes and ears inside a facility and allow you to you know, effectively test um, mm -hmm. all areas and all controls and all the standards and procedures that you need. Yeah. Um, augmented reality, Google Glass, things like that, that will help with shop floor training, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have the ability to be reading directions of what you need to do real time, as opposed to being trained once a year and forgetting what you're supposed to do. So any tech that we can plot, apply, quality management systems, document management systems, so we can get all their documents remotely, evaluated, audit, virtual audits, any anywhere we can apply tech to get visibility uh, into that environment, it's, it's great. Um, so I love seeing the drones be, being put into use. We're doing a pilot program in the spring with a drone company. Um, so pretty excited about that. Um, but there's a lot. There's a lot there. And the agrotech, the canatech, it's constantly evolving. There's a lot of green tech coming out of that space, um, which I'm not even going to get into because there's so much. But it's you know water management systems using the internet things and sensors in your irrigation process right yeah. to save money. Uh, it, the list goes on and on. So when you say what needs to be invented, sky's the limit. You know this yeah. is an industry where you can go out and come up with your own extraction system as long as it's you know tested, validated, all that fun stuff. So uh, did we miss the boat? And I feel like in somewhere like California, when their gray market exploded, you know before they really got adult use, but medical and you know, decriminal, that was very loose. Um, there was a lot of people who started home businesses where they were, you know, just making, I mean, not that I want to go back to this, but they were just making brownies on their countertop and the cat would run across the table and, you know, it was, it was not a good setup. But um, I think within that there was then, they got off the ground and they got a small kitchen space and maybe they would share kitchen time with other people and they started these little businesses and scaled organically. Um, and now many of them are, you know, amazing edibles companies and things like that. So did we miss our window in a lot of these states now because the country and certainly Canada is so far along that you have to go straight from, I want to do an edibles company to, I need a million dollars. Um, kind of, I don't think there's any straight answer to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, legally, legally, of course you could still make them on the countertop with the cat that never. Sure. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying like if you wanted to, I feel like we almost missed our mom and pop phase that these regs are going to come out so quick, they're going to blindside people who aren't ready for them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's one of the my biggest fears because not only that, you lose the culture when it happens too. Yeah. I mean, we're all just starting to enjoy the culture a little bit here. At least some yeah. of them. 
uh, more than others um, a little later to the game. But, you know, I, I think it's going to happen. Um, you know, but if we have – I think it's already happening, I should say. But um, it's still at the state level. You know, and the states still have do have the ability to ensure that people have opportunities yeah. uh, in this industry. And so I think it's incumbent upon the governments and the assemblymen and then the senators and everyone else out there who's got a voice and um, some type of public civic duty responsibility mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that, the, that there's a strong focus being put on that as yeah. we move forward all the way through federal legalization, not just this year and not next year. Um, you know, and that's on all fronts. It's on the social front. It's on the quality side, on the regs. Um, make sure that these states have adequate provisions in there, right? And mm-hmm. it just needs to happen. So it sucks seeing politics get in the way sometimes. And I know we can't always trust politicians to do the right thing, but, you know, we are stuck with them. And <laughs> fortunately, uh, and the best thing. I don't know. Do, I, feel, I feel like this country is slipping towards anarchy every day. So, yeah, you know, know, we're a young country. We're, we're still, what, 300 years old? So, mm-hmm. I go back to the north and south again. I don't know. I heard, uh, wasn't there, isn't there a territory in Oregon that's succeeding? Yeah, 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 they did. I don't think it they went did. well. <laughs> I, I think they rejoined. I'm not real sure. But um, yeah, that's for a way different show than mine. I just talk about yeah, weed. Yeah. <laughs> we all go there. But um, yeah, so cannabis, what, what's your guess on how long till federal legalization? Federal legalization, um, I mean, everything changes with the election this year. Mm-hmm. Both presidents never said they were against it, although Biden's played his fair share of, you know, roles in the past that have gotten in the way of the industry. Yeah. Um, but I do believe, you know, I can see just given the politics here, big pharma wanting to get in, see it getting scheduled, and, yeah. you know, the clinical trial error kicking in. We talked about that before. And how about uh, psychedelics? We just got mushrooms yeah. uh, decriminalized and we're about to, let me knock on wood, don't jinx it. But um, yeah, I think that's the next big wave we're going to see everyone going into. And I told people already, like, leave me out of shrooms. I, I, I did weed. Let someone else take the lead on that. I'm ready to ride <laughs> off in the sunset. Well, you did all um, the work for them, right? And now they just got to come in and <laughs> open up shop. I, yeah, I did all the work. You know, we went through the door, it got shot and bruised and bloodied and paved the way for people just coming and be like, how about mushrooms too? <laughs> <laughs> no, good. Yeah. 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 We just did weed. Why not? No, Same I mean, weed. I think it's great. I, you know, <laughs> it's, um, you know, if it comes from the ground, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so, and there's so many benefits to it for people with PTSD and anxiety yeah. and other things, um, which I, I think hasn't even really, well, I know hasn't even really been firmly discussed throughout the public communities. Mm-hmm. We're still convincing people on cannabis. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, here's some mushrooms. <laughs> Dude, they just slid that through. It's amazing. But I feel like that's going to be really interesting for research too. I think that's why that was the next one up to bat for, for legalization and decriminalization because we're actually seeing some really cool studies come out. Yeah, we, we haven't started this yet, but we do have an objective for 2021 to evaluate our business model for that industry. Because um, cool. again, the same standards need to be applied. I think you're going to see more of a medical push on that than anything else because mm-hmm. um, nobody wants a bunch of people tripping out running around recreation <laughs> um, True. Oh, i take that back <laughs> it is yeah no I, I think there are i just think it doesn't look as good on a brochure hey look there's john uh <laughs> yeah he's tripping face again he's naked in his front yard hey john how you doing put the gun down <laughs> um for sure 
yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very excited to see that. You know, I hope it doesn't. Um, I hope it goes through and, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. it dries there too, because that opens up a whole other industry, whole new set of players. Uh, and I do feel like pharma, big pharma, is going to scoop that up real quick. We'll yeah. <laughs> so because different operators have different needs, uh, what do you see in the grow process dispense? Uh, what's most vital? What are we missing? What do companies need to really make sure their I's and T's are done? Yeah, uh, well, I think the biggest risk um, to the industry, uh, aside from politics and everything else, uh, it, from an operational standpoint, is the the supply chain. I'll go one step further and say value chain because what people need to really be the most cognizant of is where you're getting your data, where you're getting your products, where you're getting your supplies. Um, unless you can control all parts of your value chain, you're really at risk of mm -hmm. who you're doing business with. So one, make sure you thoroughly vet your third parties, perform third party audits. You know, we do assessments for third parties and vendors to make sure that they have good practices in place and that you can rely on their operations for your operations. Um, but you also need to make sure that you're looking outside of just the product touching supply chain. It's pre-sale, right? It's post-sale. It's the capper process. You know, if there's a product recall, being able to trace that back through your supply chain becomes increasingly diff more difficult if you cannot get to your vendors and suppliers because they shut their doors. Hmm. Um, so you need transparency, both for your patients, for your consumers, throughout all parts of that process. And that's not easy because not everyone's going to give you insight into their operations. Um, data companies absolutely should. So when you're talking about, you know, I say value chain, I go above and beyond, above and below the supply chain, right? Because you put mm -hmm. data up in the cloud. Uh, who, who are you using? You know, where are you storing your data? Uh, how well protected is it? Um, do you have a right to audit that firm and come in and evaluate their compliance processes? So all these things really need to be um, carefully looked at. And, and you want to control as much of that value chain as possible, bring mm -hmm. things in little by little as you grow. That's how you become a vertical, right? Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of risk in that. And I, I, I mean, I feel like there's also, of course, all these things, data risk, HIPAA compliance, all, all the technical, um, you know, cybersecurity, those risks. But we also have some actual risks with product contamination and, you know, things that are, and I guess that's QAQC, I guess that's CGMP, but, um, you know, especially because we get this bias so quick, like the vape crisis was like two contaminated carts from vitamin E acetate and like a, a few people, like, of course it was a crisis and, you know, your heart goes out to anyone who suffered, but that, uh, you know, we're blaming these wide breadth of things on a couple bad apples, a couple bad operators. Yeah. And it just seems like the very most simple things we could put into place would protect people from that. And it just harms the industry because people, there's still fear there, you know? Mm -hmm. So they hear these things and then they vape van every vape thing in America, which is great for certain people who need it, like who don't want to combust or do whatever. So yeah. um, I, I feel like not, like I just want to shake people sometimes and be like, just don't screw it up for the rest of us. <laughs> just, yeah, no, I know money. I know, I know money's important, but you got to think of some safety and, and consumer health and well. And, and it's it's true. And you know, when you think about the ability to do that, and you know, supply chain, and you think about you know GMP and being able to prevent product being contaminated, it's also being product being tampered with, right? So when yeah. supply chain, it, once it leaves, you're in the cultivator, you're putting your name on that box. And it gets, you know, passed over here and some disgruntled employee sprays fentanyl all over it. 
Yeah. You know, then you got a whole different issue on your hands. So it's, it's a matter of disgruntled employee does what? Uh, sprays fentanyl all over. It does oh, something. Sprays fentanyl. Oh, oh, whatever. Specific. Okay. She's on it. <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Okay. But <laughs> fentanyl uh, is more appropriate for the show. P I is probably know. more likely than an employee just. There's, there's all sorts of whack jobs out there. I'm <laughs> not putting anything behind the name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the more control, the better. The more visibility, the better. The more in-house, the better. Um, but the the piece that I think is going to be most interesting is the logistics warehouses, supply distribution. Yeah. Um, and seeing that evolve because we're not seeing a lot of that right now. There's some, sure. Mm -hmm. um, but there's going to be a, a massive uh, explosion of those warehouse distribution and logistics centers that are going to support that supply chain. And not mm -hmm. just for bud and product, but for the, the packaging and everything else that that's going to go into this. Um, haven't even seen that yet to any great extent. Well, I mean, it's interesting that we have such a, a vertical supply chain where one company does everything at a very early level. Because maybe I'm wrong, but just thinking through this, like until you're like McDonald's, maybe then you grow your own potatoes, you know, and chop them up and sell them and fry them. And, you know, maybe Starbucks, uh, I don't know if beer companies grow their own hops or wheat at this point, but you would have to be really far up there. It's not like you start a home brew and then start growing weed immediately in your garage. Like, it seems like we go seed to sale really quick in this industry. And I, I kind of wonder, are we letting people special, specialize a lot? Because you have to worry about all these things. And it seems like you could do one thing exceedingly well. Um, but sometimes I wonder if we're diluting our capabilities. What do you think? Well, that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a really good point. Because, you know, as you're growing, and there's something to be said about spreading yourself too thin. Right. And yeah. if you're trying to be a jack of all trades and wear all these hats as opposed to, to a specialist, mm -hmm. um, myself included, let's talk about my marketing scheme. I'm actually <laughs> hired a VP of uh, digital marketing. So I'm pretty stoked about that because you hired I'm, one, you said I'm in the process of hiring one. Oh, I'm very well, cool. nice. post an ad this week. So, uh, yeah, I stoked because I did all the stuff for the grassroots collaboration group myself. I started doing some of the stuff for PC, but I've just been so busy with actual client work yeah. that the social took a back seat, completely different model. But uh -huh. I'm really looking forward to getting somebody on board and having a, a dedicated focus on that. Because to your point, mm -hmm. it's not my forte. And it detracts from my ability to work with my clients and apply the standards and do the stuff I want to do. Yeah. So it's your a balancing act. Passion for compliance. That passion for compliance. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a balancing act. You know, any type yeah. of startup, it's an art, it's a balancing act, and you just got to try and walk that tripwire without falling off. Yeah. And I mean, that's what everyone's doing right now. And that's why the, I've been having some people on the show who are kind of doing ancillary things because I think it's helpful to both the operator, if you have a dispensary to know these services are out there and this is what your competition might be doing. Mm -hmm. But I also think because you said there's so many startups right now, everyone's looking to get their foot in the door. And I always say the best thing is look at your current skill set. We probably need it in the cannabis industry somewhere. Yep. And then, uh, I, I one day I had a woman approach me who was a hairdresser and she said, I'm a hairdresser. How can I apply these skills to cannabis? And I said, I need a haircut and I work in cannabis. I, I, I might need a haircut. No, but like, I didn't know what to say to her. And I told that story to someone and they're like, CBD hair products. I was like, good one. But yeah, that one, that one stumped me. But usually whatever it is, there's almost a direct correlation between you can do that for the cannabis industry. I'll, I'll do you one better. Okay. 
consumption hair salon. Hair, hair salon lounge. Oh. A nail salon. Like you can bring wine in, you know? And sure. And a glass of wine and get your nails done. Like, like stoners and scissors, like something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stoners with scissors. Which does not sound, no. I think there's going to be some regulations for that. I need some insurance for my business. But well, what do you do? <laughs> well, I have an open company called Stoners with Scissors. We don't run with them. We just cut it. Yeah, they probably just drop them a lot. I don't know. <laughs> That's but funny. Anyway, CBD hair product might have been better. So where do you see this? Okay, so we talked about federally what we're going to see in the future. What mm -hmm. do you think when this goes globally? One, one thing I always say with that is, especially for our growers, you know, uh, right now, indoor is, you know, obviously it's great, but indoor is more expensive to when we come down to needing this for other purposes. And in Canada right now, I've heard commercial com production has gotten down to a nickel a gram. So somewhere where property is expensive might be undesirable. So I think in the short term, we'll be growing weed, you know, next to the tobacco fields in Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, where rain and sunshine is free. And eventually I think it'll be coming in from Columbia. You know, yeah. I, I don't think a lot of the businesses that are starting now in New Jersey will be here in 20 years. So what, from a global perspective, what, what, where do you see this future going? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I, I was, I, cost per gram is new to me because I thought it was still 0.55, but that was a couple of years ago when I was doing some research. U.S. was like around 0.5, and then I, the stat I read was Columbia was 0 0.05, so I was good. <laughs> I yeah, just, so Columbia, you know, well, Canada's had some time now to play with things. They might have it down. It's not going to take a genius to, to start putting outsourcing processes in place, right? Yeah. You can do something in an a, a environment that's conditioned with humidity, lighting, sunlight, hours in the day, 24-7, 365 days a year. Yeah. That's your ideal spot, right? So um, especially, you know, it's just going to follow suit with all the other industries, you know, you'll outsource, some of it will be brought back in-house, you know, they'll have issues, it'll move from, you know, like it did from India to Vietnam to Brazil to Costa Rica, like call centers did, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to see that type of model happen. Yeah. That um, might not be bad. I have a whole bunch of quality concerns that I won't get into right now, but going back to standardization, you know, this has to, the standardization of global controls has to happen in advance of any type of international commerce for this to go on a boat from New York to Amsterdam, which I can't wait for. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to have to adhere to Amsterdam standards and those should be derived and somewhat aligned with the U.S.'s, right? Mm. So pharmaceutical companies have been doing this for hundreds of years, hundred years. Um, <laughs> Uh, maybe a hundred. So wait, that's interesting. This has just occurred to me. So there's like some shady loopholes pharmaceutical companies have been working for a long time. Is there anything that we, we haven't gotten to yet in cannabis where we're like, oh, we're going to start doing some shady stuff soon? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> start? It, you've signed things that have prohibited you from talking about these things. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think I the, there are though. The global... Yeah. The globalization piece here, uh, you know, a lot of us are still waiting to make money internally mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, we're still waiting for the big payday. Um, and once the feds flip the switch, one of my concerns would be that globalization happens before even the mom and pops are getting into the market. So, because that's a cost, but it's also an advantage. Yeah. So it can go both ways. It could be cheaper for you and make more opportunities for the mom and pop. You just outsource and go to Columbia and get your product. But 
presents a whole new set of risks, whole new set of challenges from a logistics and supply chain perspective. Now you're dealing with international product. So well, that that's an interesting point. I feel like that brings up a ceiling that you are no longer sky's the limit. Like right now, I ask people, I'm in New Jersey, to name a edibles brand. And quite often they can't. They can't even name one edibles brand because you know, if you live in California or Colorado, you could probably name 50. You know, so we still have a little bit of time here, it feels like. Yep. But I feel like if they don't get in in time, we're going to get the equivalent of Amazon. And right now, it's sky's the limit. You could start your edibles brand. You could build the empire. Is it going to be hard? Yes, but there's still the American dream where you could be the top of it. Right. Once the Amazons and the Walmart of weed are there, the most you're going to be able to do is have like a little Amazon business, an Etsy business, you know, something like that. Or, you know maybe sell a product, be a wholesaler, you're not going to be able to be the top of the pyramid anymore. So I feel like we might have entirely missed that window in cannabis or we're at the precipice of missing it. And it's going to be, it's going to come down to like, so in Chopra, you got to pay for a shelf where you are on the shelf, you're at yeah. eye level, right? Or, or something to that effect. So you're going to have opportunities to be on the bottom shelf, right? Mm -hmm. You can't afford to pay for the top shelf. Uh, but you're right. I, I think that window, it, it, it could be missed very easily for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whoever's out there waiting, don't wait. Don't wait anymore. It's, no, because pe people love to say it's the Wild West. I was like, it is not the Wild West anymore. It was the Wild West maybe 10, 15 years ago. Like, there's a lot of money now. There's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of people, smart people getting into this, who uh, also who don't necessarily have the best interest of the industry at heart. So kind of people like me, people who kind of wear their heart on the sleeve at this, you know, thing, it's, uh, it's scary for the future where this is going when, um, when the Walmarts of the world come in. Yeah. And, you know, especially if they start partnering with the MSOs and the larger, more established brands to stock their shelves, you know, and they have those contracts with the, you know, <clears throat> the, the larger MSOs, um, you know, those are the contracts they're going to fill first. And whatever mm -hmm. space they have left on their shelves, you're gonna, you know, it might be that little thing at the counter at checkout. Mm -hmm. It might be on the very back of the, the store in the corner next to the bathroom by the uh, the Purell thing. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, you uh, you plan ahead. You have a strategy to scale up. Um, get people that know how to build relationships and can make foster those high 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 value added uh, yeah. relationships. Well, actually, this comes around really good to compliance full circle because the people who are going to get crushed first are the ones who just completely just don't have their shit together. You know, the the yeah, ones I mean, who are actually operating in a compliant matter, a compliant manner, uh, adhering to FDA guidelines and have good facilities are going to A, be absorbed better or B, be able to compete. Um, because those big names, once you start talking about shelf space, they're not going to take people. They're not going to take the liability of brands that aren't up to those compliance standards. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> it's going to weed a lot of people out, pun intended. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's it's gonna, a lot of people are going to rise to the top, a lot of people are going to get weeded out. And that's why I say, you know, the more you can invest in quality compliance and establishing good practices now, yeah. the better off you're going to be in the future. The more successful you're going to be in the short term as well. Yeah. Um, because your products can be valued uh, higher. If you can demonstrate where you get all your product, your materials from, demonstrate that your grower uh, provides all the <clears throat> passes all the right um, controls and, and standards for their process. Mm -hmm. That's the type of situation. That's the type of place you want to be in, right? Yeah. You want to cut corners. You want to just do something real quick and get on Seven Eleven. 
go ahead. Great. Yeah. Take a walk, get out, but it's not what we're trying to do. So yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, no, the cash grab thing, that's awful. But um, I mean, I guess it's great if that's all you want to do, but it's frustrating to see, you know, people take an industry that already has a, a shaky reputation when there's so much fear and misinformation out there and then confirm people's bias. Uh, I do think this is also people should worry about this out the gate because now so many who are just trying to get in are in application rounds. And this is, I think a lot of people write it for the app with all the good intentions of the world and they get all their SOPs down. These are all the wonderful things we're going to do. And then they open their doors and money's running low and they're in panic mode and they implement none of them. But really they're in the application because they are important. And these are things once we get them written and I guess, I don't know, PQC does, uh, if you work with applicants as well, yeah. To, yeah, to try to get these things right the first time, you really should implement them too then. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what we advise all our clients. If somebody comes and they're looking for an application, we've had a couple of people reach out from other states that are recently legalizing. Um, but the, the biggest thing to do is, you know, follow through. And if obviously you're going to spend all that time and money putting those procedures in place not just check a box, but yeah. again, to your point, that's why you won the license because they're expecting you to do those things. Yeah. So, you know, don't just have it be an SOP that you wrote and it sits on a Google drive and collects dust, yeah. you know, make sure it's current, make sure you look at it periodically. You're supposed to periodically review your SOPs to make sure they're current with your processes and practices um, and do it from the beginning. You know, it's it's yeah. really all you can do. It's going to save you time and energy and a whole lot of headaches in the, in the back end. Um, it's time, energy, and probably money too, because it's going to save you from having to redo things every time and scrap your prior system and start from scratch with a compliant one. You got to retrain all your employees after that. No, I mean, this was a, this was really great. There's a lot of good information. I think this is information people maybe have not heard or thought of before, or maybe thought of and written off. So I'm glad we got to touch on kind of why this matters. Um, why don't you tell us what's coming up next for you, for the industry, what people should look out for, how they should get in touch with you, all that good definitely, stuff. Definitely. Um, well, we've got a busy year coming up mm -hmm. in Q, uh, Q1 2021. Um, as I mentioned before, this year was really focused on a lot of capabilities and enabling tech. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're kicking off some pilot programs. We've got the drone pilot program. Uh, we're kicking off with a, um, a potential client next year. And we're really looking to grow our team. So for us to be successful, we need this multi-state network of auditors just to be a rotating door into the industry. So if anyone's out there and they want to get involved in audit compliance, quality control, if you're sitting in Nevada and you can help out with clients in Nevada because I can't get there, great. You know, we, we want to hear from you. Um, that's amazing. Of, People are always asking about cannabis, cannabis industry jobs. You just posted one on my podcast. What kind of background does someone need to be an auditor? An auditor. So if you're good with documentation management, if you're analytical, if you're good with problem solving, if you work independently, evaluate documentation, review it up against a checklist. It's not rocket science, you know, but you have to have that mindset of um, ensuring that there's traceability, things are documented appropriately. You have certifications in the life science space and in the audit space, even better. Um, so, you know, th those are the type of qualifications you want. And, you know, we're really looking to have this network grow. We've got about 100 uh, extended freelance contractors and consultants now across almost all 50 states. Wow, but, very cool. And that's great, but we also want redundancy and succession, right? Because we want these people to come in, get experience, learn about compliance, and then go take a full-time job in the industry and take that knowledge and bring it with them. Because that's how we're going to standardize, is by seeding the industry with the people who are working off the standards that we're, we're looking to push. Um, 
and we're pretty excited about it. So, and and how can people get in touch with you if they want to yeah. look in? Um, you can email that website me. social. Sure. Yeah, the website. I meant to put it up on the side, but I didn't do it. But uh, <laughs> www.precision-qc.com. Okay. Um, you can reach me at Jason at precision-qc.com. Okay. Uh, we're on Instagram at precision underscore QC. We're on Facebook. Um, just look up Precision Quality Compliance. We're on LinkedIn. All right. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw them in the show notes. That's, yeah. that's good. But cool. No, we, uh, <laughs> we're stoked. We've got a lot planned for next year, and we're really looking to help not just New Jersey. Obviously, New Jersey is one of our primary focuses, mm -hmm. um, but we are across the states. So if you need help anywhere in the country, reach out. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. No, thank you for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trailblazing with Tara Masu. Trailblazers, if you could take one moment and go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and leave a review, it really helps other cannabis supporters find us and it would mean the world to me. We have new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you're always getting the latest Trailblazing content. I would love to connect and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Blazin Bakery. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N Bakery. Check out BlazinBakery.com for awesome cannabis products, including our new CBD pet line, Blazin Barkery, a company I founded with my dog, Diablo. As always, my name is Tara Masu. Love you all and keep on trailblazing.